0: welcome to this week's episode of dugout dish podcast i'm here with my co-host keith glasser keith how are you
1: great how are you
0: doing good Uh, excited for today's conversation we're lucky to be joined by uh, a good friend and uh, a heck of a baseball coach, the associate head coach and pitching coach at James Madison University in the Sun Belt, um, Coach Jimmy Jackson. Coach Jackson, thanks for joining us.
2: How you doing? I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, if you don't mind just giving a, a, a quick introduction, you've been doing this for quite a long time and, um, you know, have coached it couple of those different schools with quite a bit of success. So if you want to just kind of give us a rundown of how you got to where you are today, and then we'll, uh, we'll fire some questions off at you.
2: Sure. Yeah. I've been lucky. Uh, you know, every school I've coached at, I've been around good other, you know, good coaches, good head coaches, especially uh, guys that have a, you know, long history in the game as well. A lot longer than I um, started out coaching at the high school level back home at a private school, Archbishop Spalding um, in Maryland, which is kind of like a, Became a national uh, nationally known program at this point. Um, back then, we were just kind of getting it rolling. But I was lucky enough to coach with a guy there, uh, Steve Miller, who's now the head coach of DeMatha. Um, again, been, I don't know, coaching 30, 40 years, something like that by now. Uh, and then I moved on to the college ranks uh, for Coach Rossi up at Siena College. That's where uh, me and Coach Glasser coached a little bit together. It's um, where I met my wife up in New York. Uh, so it worked out pretty well for me. Um, and then basically the team, the only team we couldn't beat in that league at the time, uh, that head coach got a job at Fordham university. So then I went with him there, uh, Kevin Layton, who's still the current head coach at Fordham, um, was lucky enough to be there for four years again, kind of building that program up. Um, and then was lucky enough to get a chance to come down here to JMU uh, at the time we were in the CAA. Uh, Coach Eikenberry had stepped away from coaching for a very short stint, maybe six, seven months, um, just with some family things and and being at home. And then basically JMU had reached out and it was something he couldn't pass up, which was basically the same for me, you know, growing up in Maryland, growing up probably two and a half hours from here in Harrisonburg, uh, a little bit more lifestyle I was used to. um, You know, I, I think, nine times out of 10, most people want to go south as far as baseball is concerned. I know I was always that way. So it was a little, it was a little odd for me from the coaching aspect because I went north to go south. Um, but it's worked out and been lucky enough to be here for eight years and just transitioned into the Sun Belt. So it's almost like we're restarting the program again, uh, building it back into the CAA to be a contender and now taking a step back going into a Sun Belt conference where again, we got to build it up to to compete in that's at this level, basically.
0: Yeah, Sunbelt's turned turned into quite the animal uh, from a baseball perspective. I think we touched on that in a podcast recently, that uh, that whole Power Five label for baseball isn't quite that simple. And, and the Sunbelt's certainly one of those conferences that breaks that mold with with just the quality of program from top to bottom that uh, you have to compete with day in and day out. So, uh, yeah, it's uh, good to – we follow you guys closely, and it's good to see a lot of the success you've had. and. Um, you know, you've had a ton of success moving moving guys onto the pro level, so I think you're going to be able to give some some pretty awesome insight to the listeners on the recruiting stuff, but the development stuff as well. So um, we'll give you your first question, kind of uh, all encompassing. But I think one of the things we try to ask everybody yeah. is, what are some of the mechanisms that you use to identify players? As far as you know, maybe camps or travel teams or high school coaches. Um, you know, what are some of the things that you lean on to identify guys that
2: might be good enough for JMU? the biggest thing always comes down to relationships we have with other coaches uh other people that have that are either in the business or been in the business um guys that have done it themselves whether it's the high school level the college level um the recruiting circuit you know with travel ball i know a lot of people have a lot of negative things to say about it um i mean i like it i know i know it's tough i know it's expensive um And yes, there's the chase to Lauders of the world that went in the first round for us that we look like geniuses for getting them when he didn't play big travel ball. But at the end of the day, the kid showed up at our camp and his high school coach brought him the first time and we just saw something we liked. And to prove how hard this recruiting stuff is, we recruited him as a pitcher and basically told him he was not going to hit. He wasn't strong enough. He wasn't big enough. and we were wrong because then he turned into a six four, two hundred 235-pound center fielder um, and got drafted in the first round as a hitter. So, you know, it's difficult. Um, but again, you know, we just – we go off people we know. You know, if, if, if they think they're a good fit for us as people, uh, you know, we can judge the level, you know, once you do it long enough. Not that you're going to be right all the time, but um, you got a pretty good handle on that. It's it's more so them knowing are they going to fit us personality wise, work ethic wise, you know, things like that.
0: The camp thing is is something that we harp on that coaches do use that very much as, uh, you know, an opportunity to evaluate players. And, um, you know, I know that we used it at William Mary and Mary and at different locations to to make sure that we got a, a good read on guys and got a chance to to see them play and and interact with him from a character perspective. So it's interesting. The water story is always a good one. Um, I know we've talked about that before, uh, but uh, yeah, he was impressive to watch
2: for sure. And that, and that's the thing. I mean, sorry to have to move around It started raining a little bit, but um, I know it's, it's so difficult. I mean, there's guys, I mean, gosh, we've had guys come to camp and we pass on them. You know, we, we don't pull the trigger um, and they go play in the ACC and, they're all conference players three years later. And we're like, Oh my gosh, what were we looking at? You know, it might've just been the timing, you know, or what we needed. Um, a kid that got drafted from VCU at the same exact time as chase the They were like, uh, basically like a Mark McGuire, Jose Canseco duo up in the Cape. We could have had that kid when he was a junior in high school. Like he was asking us to come here. um, and we turned them down because we didn't think we needed a third baseman which was clearly wrong. Um, you know, we could have had two of the best hitters on the east coast as opposed to one at the same time. But yeah, it's it's difficult as far as that goes.
1: Well, I think the timing of it is is one of the the hardest parts of recruiting, you know, and I, you know, we've we've talked about it a lot and you know, we you and I have had this conversation quite a bit too just in I mean We've known each other for almost 15 years at this point in time i can't believe it's been that long um but you're right like sometimes it's you see a kid who shows up to camp and you just you, for whatever reason they don't have a great day or you know they're there you see them one other time and it wasn't that great and you make your decision you know like you said based off of what you've seen and everything that you've seen over the course of however long that we've all done this like you have a really good idea of where they fit sometimes you catch that like two bad days and it's like, ah, he's good, but not good enough for us. And then, you know, to your point, like three years later, you're like, ah, we missed on that guy. <laughs> like we, we probably, you know, that that's a, but it's like, it's an inexact science. Like you're not, you know, if you're hitting at 70, 80%, like you're doing really good. Like you're hitting at 20, 30% and we got to revamp what we're doing, but you know, you're going to miss. I think that's the one thing that's hard to, to get a handle on as a coach sometimes is you're going to miss. Like, you just got to be okay with it and know that, you know, we limit those misses as much as we possibly can.
2: Yeah, 100%. I mean, that's, and I think that's one thing you, work, you learn quickly. And me and you got got to taste that a little bit with Coach Rossi, with someone that's, <laughs> yes. you know, had, had literally been recruiting longer than we had been alive. Mm-hmm. Um, and we think, we know, we're like, I'm telling you, he can do this. I know he can do this. And really, it's like, no, we're just, we're just guessing. Like yep. we, we still think we're right. And sometimes we were, and sometimes we were really wrong, yep. um, you know, and, and everybody does. I mean, I'll never forget. Like he thought uh, myself um, coach Detoma, Rob Detoma, who's head coach at San Francisco right now. I mean, we were adamant that Dan Paolini was not going to hit as a freshman. Like he might've batted a buck 10 freshman fall. And we're like, what are you talking about? You know, we just showed up. We didn't recruit the kid. And Coach Rossi, being who he is, goes, no, I'm telling you, he'll hit. Don't worry about it. I'll make the lineup. And then he broke the single season hits record as a freshman. Mm -hmm. And it's like, yeah, man, you definitely know a lot more than we know. (laughs) Yeah, I
1: think he had, I mean, the year I showed up, I think he had 26 bolts. Yeah. And then they yeah changed the bat. Like- Remember, they changed the bats in our second year, and he was like, Oh, I can't believe they changed the bats. And he goes out, like, trots out another 20. <laughs> the, the kids popped in like the eighth, ninth, or eighth or ninth round.
2: Yeah. And and I mean, think about it. He was committed to another school as a pitcher, mm-hmm. right? Got hurt in flag football in gym class or something like that. Yep. Coach Rossi sees him hit for one day and goes, Yeah, he's going to hit. You know, and he used his patented like, hitters hit, and I saw him hit. <laughs> you know, <Yeah. laughs> that's why you, would, you could never come back to, to a guy like coach Rossi. And I catch myself saying it to other coaches I coach with, you know, like, what do you mean his swing is good? And he looked good. Like, did he hit? Like, if he didn't hit man, he's not a hitter. Mm-hmm. Like, Don't tell me he's got a great swing. And, and again, you could have a funky looking bad looking swing or what, I don't know, whatever you want to call it not fundamentally sound but if he's always on the barrel you probably ought to pay attention to you know
1: i think the the other one that comes to mind briefly is the when you and i tried to keep him from seeing uh vinny citro's arm um because (laughs) that kid was on the barrel and he could defend but that arm was it was (laughs) as average as average could be and we were like oh you know I mean, he gets the, the first base it'll be okay
2: <laughs> yeah well yeah and, and and again it just goes back to I mean this this stuff is so hard I mean I, I joke with our head coach now coach Ike all the time about it because everybody's got their good stories everybody's mm-hmm. got the oh well compare them to this guy it's like okay well how many of those guys did you really have I mean unless you're coaching at at Vanderbilt or or Mississippi State or Auburn, you know you're not you're not getting many high school draft picks, even at the Sun Belt. I mean, and this conference is incredibly hard, um, but we haven't run across we've run across kids who have developed over two or three years at that program, strength conditioning wise, velocity wise, speed wise. But you're not talking about guys that turn down the top five rounds to to come here. You know, you're talking about guys that have developed that were just extremely good high school players, um, but have turned themselves into draft picks, you know?
1: Yeah, I think, you know, any and I have had this conversation a lot, and we've talked about it with a lot of other coaches, too. The, you know, it, to your point about the Sun Belt, like, one, I, if you follow college baseball, you know that it's a, it's a legit conference, and it has been for a while. But they're sometimes the Sun Belt for a lot of those kids is like, they could probably play in the sec or the acc um you know but it might be a better fit to end up at a coastal or a louisiana lafayette or a jmu because you're going to develop into a chase dolauder who's going to be a first round pick like the you know you, you because he plays a lot early where he might not be playing that early at a bigger school like he's going to get a lot more at bats and be able to develop a lot easier or a lot quicker um than you might otherwise would at, you know, a, a bigger school. So I, you know, being able to find that fit to where you're gonna actually develop with the coaching staff and, and in a program where you are going to get bigger, faster, stronger, because you have to get more physical in order to really compete and, and get to the next level after college baseball. Um you know, but it's it, it's not necessarily the, you know, just the the power five guys that are going to end up somewhere. It's you're gonna get a lot of dudes at out of the Sun Belt and um, the A-10 and, and some smaller conferences that have some legit baseball where dudes develop into, you know, draft picks and, and have great careers.
2: Yeah, hundred percent. And, and that's the thing. I mean, I feel like every level of college baseball is good. Every level is hard, you know, every level is difficult and, and the higher, and, and there really are differences at the division one level as much as I always, you know, wanted to perceive that there wasn't. Um and I mean, gosh, we weren't, it, it's not like we were running away with the CAA when we were in it, you know, and, and that's what we were recruiting to, um, you know, so now being at this level, it, it it's again, a whole nother animal, you know, and, but we still have to stick to the things we've always believed in as a coaching staff, coaching staff, which is the development piece. You know, we we got a new strength coach by chance this year, our, our guy got a um a better opportunity somewhere else to be higher up, uh, in the strength world. And we kind of lucked out department wise, they turned it into a baseball softball position only as opposed to three or four sports. Um, so we have somebody that basically can just spend more time with our guys, um, can put together a little bit more personalized plan than maybe what we had in the past. Um, because now he's working with, I don't know, 65 athletes as opposed to 150 athletes. Um, you know, he's traveled on the road with us. There's things like that, that we have access to that I didn't have access to as a coach at, at Fordham or Siena or most division twos or division threes have, you know? Um, now again, if the kids work, then it's going to work out. Um, but when you have that, that strength coach with you, every single time you touch a weight, every single time you go to stretch, it, it's different, you know? Yeah, it's huge.
1: What um, and I'm gonna feed you one right into your wheelhouse. But you know, when you since you are uh, uh, the pitching guy and you've had a lot of success developing guys and, and getting a, a lot of dudes drafted, and there's a guy in the big leagues right now with a a, a, a sweeper, we're calling it nowadays. That looks like it's made up. Um, and, and is a video game pitch. But like when you uh, break it down to the like when you go out and see guys pitch, like what are you looking for? In a guy that you're you're going to be interested in from a, a pitching standpoint to potentially recruit.
2: Um, I mean, I guess two different things. Like, first of all, the stuff, of course, has to be there. You know, like it's really hard at this level to take a guy if at the high school level he's putting up good numbers, but he's not getting swings and misses. If it's oh, he pitches to a lot of weak contact, it's like okay, well. Yeah, but he's facing a lot of weak hitters. So at least that's the way I look at it. Um, now, if he's getting a lot of swing and miss at that level, then that should typically translate to at least a little bit of swing and miss at our level until we can help him develop it, his stuff to get even better. But but if he's a, a pitch-to-contact, you know, low 80s guy in high school, that's it's just hard to recruit for us. Um, so stuff, I mean, 100% is important. Um, and then really it comes down to toughness. I mean, for me, this is something I've been talking to our guys about for the longest time this year. Um, and, and I, and I use this all the time and it's nothing, you know, it's not a negative on the guy you just referenced that's in the major leagues. Um, but Kevin Kelly is the perfect example of the most mentally tough kid I've ever coached in my life. But if we were getting into a fight, I, I don't know. I mean, I, there's probably 10 other pitchers I would have picked to have my back. They might be a little bit tougher in that sense of what like me and you may talk about. Like, you know, yeah, man, he's tough. Like he'll get in your face. Kevin wasn't going to do that. But if the umpire made three bad calls in a row, he was still going to execute the fourth pitch. You know, if somebody hit a blooper or if our shortstop made an error, he was going to do everything in his power to just strike the next guy out and say, okay, well, I'll just do it myself. Um, he was never, ever, ever saying, Well, the umpire did this, or well, if my teammate caught this ball, or I think we should have thrown this pitch. Um, I mean, I couldn't tell you how many times I would remind him, like, hey man, you can shake me off. You know, like you know your stuff. You, you know, you're smarter than me. If you want to do something, do it. And he'd go, No, I'm good. Like, I just know if I throw it where you tell me to throw it, it'll probably work. And I'm like, OK. But again, that he's so mentally tough that that's why him going into the major leagues. If you spoke to him right now, you'd be like, man, this is, you know, this is just the calmest kid in the world. He didn't look at it like a big deal, like he's excited, but it's not like, oh, my gosh, these guys are so much better than me. Um, so, again, going back to the recruiting part, we have to find that. We have to figure out, which is so hard to figure out, like, are they actually mentally tough? Um, And as you guys know, that's difficult because if you go watch a high school kid pitch, I don't care if it's summer ball or high school, they typically dominate at their level. So that's what we see. We see them dominate and go, heck, yeah, man, he just struck out 10. He got like 22 swings and misses. Yeah, this is a guy. Well, you got to pay close attention. You know, that was this. Was he good with his teammates? Did his head coach try to talk to him and he blew him off? Uh, we have a young man coming in next year that I, I just, I lucked out. I happened to go to a game last spring. Um, he was a later recruit nowadays. Um, he just hadn't made up his mind yet. Um, he was waiting until the back end of his junior year. And I happened to see him with a very questionable umpire. And his high school baseball team was not very good. Um, they probably made five errors in the four innings he pitched and simple things. And he stayed about as calm as I've ever seen in my life, Um, which was perfect, which literally told me right then and there, I don't care what the stat line is, how hard he's throwing anymore. It doesn't matter. Like he is mentally tough. So when he gets to this level and our 22-year-olds bang him around the yard a little bit in the fall, he's going to be okay. He's going to get through it.
0: Yeah. It's such an interesting piece of the evaluation and you are certainly not the first guy to, to, to talk about it. And I think it's one of the things that goes unnoticed for high school kids and just how important it is, how you handle yourself when stuff goes bad, because if you show up to go see a kid throw nine times out of 10, you're there because that kid from a physical perspective is checking boxes that intrigue you enough to want to be there. And Seeing a kid fail can actually be the reason that you like him, to your point. Like, all right, this stuff's good enough. This stuff didn't go his way, and he still handled it well. That's it's, it's, it's such an important thing, and to your point, when you get to college, I don't care how good you are, you could be the number one recruit at the best school in the country. At some point, it's going to go south on you, and you need to be able to deal with it because, to your point, 22, 23-year-old man with – you know, 800 at bats under their belt between summer and college, like that you're pitching to a different, you're pitching to a different animal. And uh yeah, that's a really interesting story. Um, uh, I'm glad you told that one. Cause I think it's a, an important thing for, for high school kids to hear that how you're handling yourself matters.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And that, and that's why we rely on coaches so much because the chances of seeing guys in those situations is so, you know, it's, it's a coin flip if we get that chance. Um so we rely on you know whether it's guys like you that are doing it, um, it's a, a, a travel ball coach or a, or a high school coach especially, um, to let us know how they actually actually handle that stuff on a daily basis.
0: Obviously, data is a, a big piece of pitching in particular. Like we have some some decent metrics for for hitters, but how do you leverage that, and at what point does that not become a part of the evaluation? Um, I'd be interested to hear from a recruiting perspective, but also how you leverage that from a development perspective when guys get on campus.
2: Yeah. I mean, we, we lucked out. We finally got a track man. Um, the only negative was we got it this spring. So we weren't able to put it into effect, you know, as much as we would have liked Um we kind of dabbled in it a little bit. Um, I mean, we're using it a good bit now, now that we've had it for a month and a half. Um, But we try to use it as much as possible to get the guys to understand either how good their stuff really is um, compared to maybe another elite division one pitcher or even a professional pitcher. But then we also get guys to understand, okay, well, maybe this is why this pitch is not working. Uh, We thought it was good and it's not. Um, Or not only are the hitters telling us it's not good because they're hitting it, but now the data can kind of prove my point. Um, I really think it does a lot of that. I, I think it really proves a coach's point, which is why, you know, when I first started coaching, a lot of the new terminologies and lingos and, you know, whatever you want to call them, I was so against so much of it. Um, and then I kept moving on to a little bit better players as a whole or, or a little bit smarter kid. Um, that knew a heck of a lot more than I did, or came from some private facilities that use some things that I didn't know. Um, so as opposed to saying, no, that's not good, or that doesn't matter. I made sure that I learned that stuff. You know, I, I taught it to myself or I reached out to people that are way smarter than me um, in, or, in order to know what, what I'm talking about when it comes to this stuff. Um, but yeah, it's such a fine line, man. It, it's, Especially track, I mean, track man for pitchers is, you know, kind of like the end all be all uh, as far as proven to you what your stuff is. But again, there's things I learn about it every few weeks or every few months that I'm like, oh, you know, there's one more interesting point to it that maybe we could use to our advantage. I mean, I mean, to be honest, we have two guys right now that we were constantly, constantly trying to get them to sink the ball better um because their slot made sense common sense i thought um and then you start looking at some of the metrics and you're going oh my god what are we doing like we should have been doing the opposite we should be throwing more fastballs not two seamers um and it may seem obvious to some but it certainly wasn't obvious to most people i've been around um until we saw that data when we could put the you know, his arm slot, release height, all these other things to go along with his induced vertical and horizontal. Next thing you know, we're like, oh my God, you carry the ball. Like I, I would have never thought that because we've used other things like Soto, which is a good device, but it's just not, it's not a hundred percent accurate. You know, when you get track man, it's a hundred percent accurate. And now you go, oh my gosh, this is real data. You know, this is real in-game stuff.
0: Yeah. It's pretty wild what they're able to to get to and um it fascinates me and I, I lean on a lot of guys to try to better understand it myself because you know most of these kids are getting exposed to it and uh there's always that fine line of them being able to turn off the metric switch and go compete. Um and that's something I've and I know I've had conversations with high school guys It's like At a certain point, you can't chase the velo or you can't chase the movement. Like sometimes you just got to go compete. Is that something that you have to deal with with your guys at all? Or are they mature enough at this point where they're able to focus on it when it's time to focus on it and then go out and just be a dog when when it's time to go compete?
2: Yeah, I think most of them are. I I think sometimes it gets in some guys heads a little bit. um, And that's the tricky part because we're trying to use it to better ourselves and better them as players. Um and and every once in a while, you know, guys would be wondering like, oh well, I guess I got hit because my ball wasn't carrying the same. And it's like, no, it was two zero, and you threw balls down the middle. Um, or oh, my stuff must have been moving better. And it's like, no, you were in o two one two counts, and you were expanding. You know, where it all that stuff is still going to always always be important. There's always going to be the simple data. Like 2-0 is better for the hitter, 0-2 better for the pitcher, common sense, 1-1, you got to win it. You know, all all those things that every pitching coach talks about and every hitting coach talks about. Um, But there is something to be said for if you can help that player achieve elite stuff. Well, now we don't have to be real picky. There's some guys once in a blue moon, you can run across where you can just set up right down the middle and say, here it is because my stuff is going to move so well that good luck hitting it, you know? Um, Now that's few and far between, but if you can get to that point, uh, that simplifies pitching even more. But, but yeah, I mean, without a doubt we run into it still at times it's like, Hey man, it's game time. Now just go win. Don't worry about any of the other stuff we've ever practiced.
1: I think the compete thing is the, you know, to the mental toughness thing is one of the hardest things to evaluate in the recruiting process but also one of the toughest things to try to get your guys to do once they're there um you know like it's you could be you could get we've all had them like dudes who have unreal stuff or they're on the barrel all the time you put them in the game and it's just like it's lost um you know but being able to to try to work through that and get those guys to um the level that like that gets them to be the best version of themselves i think is where you know, is the frustrating part as coaches, but the, where you find what you really like to do, Um, you know, but there's the, I think nowadays with the data and everything you can break down, I think you can, I've found at least when I was coaching that you can kind of get those kids a little bit sped up, I think on that track. Cause it's like, Hey, like, look, I'm telling you, you're good enough. Like your stuff's good enough. You're doing this, you're doing that. Like you can do it now. It's just like mentally, we have to get over that. But I think like, when you can reassure people a little bit more and more with like concrete data. And now it's like, all right, he's right. I am good enough. I just got to go do it. You know what, but once you do it and you you see it click and they start having that success, it's when it's like, all right, we, we we've, we've made a jump here. And that's where dudes start really, you know, becoming dudes. Yeah. Um, What, you know, it, I don't know if this is, we've asked this to everyone we've had on and I don't know, everyone has a pretty much the same answer, but, Um, how much do rankings like on perfect game or PBR or any of that stuff, um, factor into how you guys go
2: about recruiting at JMU? I mean, I'm sure most people probably say they don't matter. Um, which I would be one of those people, (laughs) you know, I, and it's nothing against any of the people that, that do those things. It, it, this is the one thing, and maybe this is different, different from some other people. Um. I actually was talking to somebody at our state convention about this back in December or January. Um, To me, the rankings don't matter at all, but I do think they're good for kids because it's one more aspect of competing. So if you think you're the number one shortstop in your state and you're ranked fifth, well then go prove it, you know, like uh, take PBR for instance. They go out and they watch a ton of high school games. Well, they're going to see you. You know, I'm sure your summer ball team plays in their tournament, you know, and Perfect Game does the same stuff. Maybe they don't go to as many high school games, but I'm sure they go to some. Um, No matter what, though, like, well, if you don't like it, like our head coach says all the time, if you don't like it, play better. Well, if you don't like your ranking, make it better. You know, what does that guy do that you don't do? And don't just chalk it up to, well, he went to 10 events and I went to two. Now, he probably didn't get ranked first because he attended a lot of events. Maybe he has a ranking score that's a little higher. As we all know, that tends to happen. But he's not going to be ranked the number one shortstop in the state of whatever simply because he attended something. He's he's ranked number one because they have multiple people that work for them that think he is hands down the best shortstop in that state. Um, But again, I go back to when we recruited Chase DeLauder. There was no ranking because nobody knew him. Um, he played in things in for an okay travel ball team, um, but he wasn't as good back then. He shouldn't have been the number one at anything because he wasn't good enough. Um, we've had plenty of draft picks that weren't ranked. I mean, I, I feel it, like, and I'm trying to get that out of my system now, coaching at this level, to where I used to find it to be a really cool thing for me. Like, man, I wonder how many guys I could coach that do get drafted that were never ranked high or even ranked, to be honest, like not top 10 in their state. And part of me is like, well, maybe I'm just bad at recruiting. So I should get, you know, these better ranked guys. Uh, The other part was like, well, the schools I'm at, we don't really get these top ranked guys. Um, So it really depends on how you look at it. But to this point, I don't know, we've never had these highly ranked dudes coming in here, You know, you you don't see us on these recruiting ranking things like I I don't know what they're called, but. um,
1: Like the top classes
2: or whatever. Yeah, all that stuff. Like I remember my first year at Siena when me, uh, a guy named Joe Sinicola and Rob Duton were all going in there together the first time. None of us knew each other. All three brand new assistants for Coach Rossi. It was about to be his 40th season. We had like votes for our recruiting class that was showing up when we showed up. Like it was received votes, whatever the heck that means. So like we weren't in the top 25, but we were in the talk. And I'm like, what? At Siena? Like how, I mean, damn, these kids must be awesome. And then you get there and you're like, why was this class talked about? I don't, like great kids, awesome kids. I would never trade it. Like I still talk to a lot of them, but we didn't have nationally ranked players coming in there. I mean, a couple of them, yeah, one later got drafted, Dan Pelini in that class. Um, I feel like every class there had at least one draft pick. But that one recruiting class, for instance, did not have multiple. So how the heck were we ranked? We were ranked because it was like the biggest class they had in 15 years. It was like 18 players coming in, which back then wasn't normal. So therefore, we got votes or whatever. So again, it just goes back to like, did it really matter? You know, it it didn't.
1: No it didn't and and i think the one thing that gets lost when you start talking about rankings and all that stuff is that there's there's multiple levels to college baseball there's multiple levels within each division of college baseball like i mean you can go look at any division you can go look at division 1 like you're going to find some really bad division 1 baseball teams that are going to get worked in a three game set against division 2 and division 3 schools like and everyone in our business knows it like it, it it's the truth you know so it, it's you know i i never i couldn't chase rankings when i was coaching division three baseball like you're never going to get any of those like you're not getting a a really a, a highly ranked kid when you're coaching division three baseball it's just the reality of it you know but there's you can still it's you realize there's a lot of really good baseball being played and there's dudes you're going to find them and sometimes when you get people that chase those level or chase the rankings, like you can get some guys that slip through the cracks that end up being pretty good at, at different levels, which is, you know, makes overall, it makes the entire level of whether it's division one, two or three more competitive because you have more people that are are probably getting in there and getting developed and being better at baseball.
2: Right. Well, and that's why I think, you know, it goes back to like, I I, I just feel like it gets a bad rap, the ranking stuff. and. I don't know. I mean I I don't not like it. I don't hate it. I do think it's genuinely good because all of us I feel like that are like maybe 8 to 10 years younger than me and definitely older than me. So between that age bracket and older, we all go through of like god, we want kids to be tougher. Like man, we want them to work harder. Man, if this guy had my work ethic, you know, we all go through that as coaches. So it's like, well, why are we putting down rankings? It's one more way to make them mad. It's one more way to make them compete because we all know, you know, it's it's easy for them not to compete because, you know, I go to my son's little league basketball and they don't turn the scoreboard on. I go to a soccer game for him. There's no scoreboard. I hate it. It's bothering. So, yeah, I'd rather you come, come and rank them like rank the eight U basketball team. And then when I say like, Hey man, look, you're 10th. Well, work harder. You know? So I, I don't, I don't dislike them.
1: Spoken like a true father who wants to compete. I mean,
0: I'm the same way. Yeah. That's uh, you, you. I mean, you're absolutely right. Like I never really thought of it that way. Right. I've always thought of it from the recruiting perspective of, I didn't really care what PBR ranked a kid. If I thought the kid was good enough and based on, You know, experience as a coach evaluating and understanding the players you have on campus and, you know, how guys fit and how guys progress. But it, 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 that is, it's a, I think you're right. I think that if the kids use it the right way, it can be a motivating factor for them. It can be something for them to compete. And, you know, we all like a guy who's got a little bit of a chip on his shoulder because they tend to, they tend to figure out how to work a little bit harder and do some things that are going to separate themselves. So, that's an interesting take, and I like it. I like
2: it a lot. Well, think of all the guys that all of us have coached that weren't on athletic scholarship money and became really good, like really, yeah. really good. And you're like, damn, I almost don't even want to tell the head coach to put him on money because it <laughs> stops working. It's like, damn, you know, he earned it. Yeah. So you got to give it to him. But you almost want to be like, okay, well, let's take some of these other guys off it and earn it again you know, like, don't forget what it took to earn it. I mean, I know at one point here we had our whole weekend rotation was recruited as, you know, recruited walk-ons. So yeah, they were guaranteed spots and everything, but they weren't guaranteed scholarship money. And sometimes those guys just outwork the others. Um, Not always, you know, don't get me wrong. We've had plenty of draft picks and weekend guys that are, that came in on scholarship money, but There is always something to kind of be said for that type of thing.
1: I think the other thing, too, when you get to college, Andy says it all the time, it's a meritocracy. Like, you're – it doesn't matter if you're a recruited walk-on or you're on scholarship money. Like, as coaches for us, you know, we get paid to win baseball games. So if you're going to help us win baseball games, you're going to find yourself with the ball on the mound or in the lineup. It doesn't matter if you're – a guaranteed a spot or you know you're on 70% like you can be on 70% and not help us win you're gonna find yourself sitting next to you or you know hey you're a walk on but this kid has swing and miss stuff like you're in dude like here's the baseball go get it like it, it doesn't matter because at the end of the day like you gotta win and you gotta win baseball games you're gonna put the guys in the who are gonna give you the best spot or the best shot to win games are gonna find themselves in those high leverage sh- spots. You know, yeah. I've never heard of a coach to be like, mm, you know, he could really help us win here, but he's a walk-on, so we're not going to go to him. We're going to go to the guy who's pitching at an eleven clip, and he's on eighty percent. Like, no, we're going to go to the dude who who's going to get the ball and shove. Who's a recruited walk-on? Doesn't matter. I'm trying to win.
2: Yeah, I think my my college coach said a good line. He had a lot of one-liners, but he he said a really good line to us and i know it was my senior year it was the first time our team was ever struggling and i played at the division two level and i can't say who he said it about but he goes you know one of us was saying something along those lines of you know you know what is it like you don't like this guy you know what's the problem and he's like no he's just not good enough and we and we didn't see it that way of course so you know we were trying to get to play more and he goes listen you guys were all here in you know, 2000, whatever. And he mentions a player's name. He goes, I couldn't stand that guy. I literally couldn't stand him. But I put him at this position and batted him lead off for four years. And he helped me win over 30 games a year. I probably won't even talk to him ever again. And we weren't friends. We're not going to be friends. But I'm telling you, I was putting him in the lineup because he was going to help me win games. This has nothing to do with who I like and who I don't. And I'm like, now I've been lucky. I've never had a player I didn't like, you know, like that, but it just goes to prove your point. Yeah, you're you're going to play the best players hands down all the time.
0: Yeah, we we had a kid, and I I won't name him. I love him to death. He was an awesome kid and I he was one of those guys that he showed up as a walk-on. You know, we saw him play, he fit a need that we were looking for in that class. Like we needed some infield versatility. Kind of thought of him as a guy like worst case scenario, he'll come in, it'll be a really good practice player, He plays hard, he can do a bunch of different stuff. And for for three years, we tried to bring in somebody every year and that dude would just, he'd just beat him out. He would he, like, and he'd go through lulls where it was like, all right, this is where his luck runs out. Like we're going to get, and then he'd make a play at third base in a clutch spot and it would change the game, or he'd get a bunt down, or he'd find a way to get to velocity that he shouldn't be able to handle. And he just had a knack for doing it. And we, he just kept playing. He just kept playing. And I think he recorded the final out in uh, the regional to get us to the regional final. And it was, it was kind of like, yeah, I figured that was going to happen. Like he just had a knack for showing up when he needed to show up. And he was, you know, far from over talented or anything, but he's an awesome kid, he's a great practice player, and you know it showed up on a game day, so it's uh i always I always laugh about those stories and um yeah, you gotta win, so if you can do it, bring it on as far as kids that come to campus, what do you think the biggest learning curve is for freshmen when they get there like if you're if you're gonna give some advice to a high school kid who's getting ready to go on campus. What are some things that you see in players that are successful when they get there?
2: Yeah, I think just overall player, you know, be it hitter, pitcher, even other student athletes, I think it comes down to time management. I mean, if they if they constantly put off work, if they procrastinate, if they sleep in and they should have woken up, you know, um, those are the guys that really, really struggle. Uh, you know, we, we started, for instance, we've done it since our second or third year here. We're able to bring some guys in for summer school, um, for like a four to six week stretch. And all they do is take one class. Uh, they're with our academic advisor a couple days a week. They go, they do the one class with their strength guy, four or five days a week. And it's not some crazy, like, oh my God, we put on 15 pounds or, you know, you know, they're starting out with an A, but you know, at the end of the day, it's more so like get used to campus get used to what it's like. And by the way, we haven't even added in baseball yet. So once we add in baseball, every kid and, and you guys know from from coaching at this level, it, it is a different animal. So if you don't love baseball and I mean, love it, you better not play division one because the amount of time that our guys are asked to put into this is so much beyond what you would ever imagine unless you've done it or you've coached it like you think you know and you have no idea um, and I played at a very very good division two school I thought we hit a lot on our own you know I, I thought we worked a lot on their own it is nothing compared to what these guys do um, you, whether it's the early hitting or the meetings or going over video which we have access to now going over track man stuff I mean it's a lot, you know, it's a whole lot. And I mean, I was joking with our compliance guy not too long ago. And I said, yeah, you know, the NCAA puts a 20 hour limit on us, of course. and, And I swear we don't break that. I promise you. But if you had to count the time that our guys put in on their own, on top of our 20, I mean, you're talking like a 40 hour work week. And by the way, they need to pass 15 credit hours. And, oh, by the way, you better have a 2.5 or better just to make sure you're not borderline ineligible. And we're shooting for three O's or better. So, like, it it's a hell of a lot harder than people think. Um, so I think, again, it just comes back to time management. You know, if you genuinely. The thing care, that
0: sticks out to me, what you said is. Go ahead, Jim. I'm sorry.
2: Oh, no, no, you're good. I was just saying, like, if you genuinely care about getting your degree, and you genuinely care about making it to the next level athletically, then those are the guys that are going to be fine. We're we're always going to be okay with those guys.
0: It's the bare minimum is what is the eye-raising point of it, is that what you just talked about, if you want to compete at the level that those kids need to be able to compete at to help you win games, what you just described, that's the baseline. And if you, I'm sure you have guys who do more than that, who – you know, they, it may not be a part of their hourly, but are super disciplined with what they eat, are super disciplined with their sleep routines, have a really uh, dedicated preparation routine that they do before practice, whether it's stretching, or, you know, I know meditation is a thing that, they, that a lot of guys have adapted, and I know some staffs have, have used it with what they do. And that's kind of the eye-opening thing for, for high school players who may be listening here, is that what you do in high school, you think you work hard because you go to the guy who helps you with your swing twice a week you think you work hard because you go to the gym a couple times a week you go to your pitching guy a couple times a week when you get to college the bare the, the bare minimum is higher than that in terms of the hours that are required plus you need to be a really good student plus you need to be a really quality member of the community um, and I'm glad you highlighted that because I, I do think it, it can be an eye-opening experience and I've personally seen guys who are really talented have trouble with that transition, and it can really set them back because it's not just the baseball stuff that impacts the baseball stuff. Not being able to handle your business off the field bleeds into the on-field stuff, and you'll see some really talented guys who might lose a year of development because it took them six months to figure out how to just handle themselves on a day-to-day basis, and it can be difficult. Definitely can.
2: Yeah, and honestly, that's why I think it's so hard at this level to hope and rely on freshmen, to be honest. And and it's nothing against them, you know, just because they're 18, 19 doesn't matter. Um, because again, some of them can step right in and and their time management skills are on point. They work hard, you know, they they do eat right. They, they get their sleep, they do everything they're asked and they prove they can compete at this level. Um, but more often than not, you need a little bit of time to adapt and get used to it. It's not just, can you hit this level of pitching or can you get this level of hitter out? It's also all those other, you know, little things that, that add up that, you know, I tell our guys all the time, I'm like, man, if we, if we have a freshman pitcher do great, I mean, I'm pumped for them and I'm excited as anybody else. But I never, you know, look at our recruiting board and go, oh yeah, those four freshmen are going to help us right away because I just don't know what they're gonna go through. You know, be, being away from home might be too hard on one of them. So it might take him a fall to get used to it. You know, the classes might be too hard on another one. It might take them a fall to get used to it. Uh, the other one does struggle because the the level of play is is higher than he thought. Um, but yeah, yeah, there's so many pieces that go into it for sure.
1: I thought it was interesting. We had Eric on, he
2: was our first guest.
1: Um... But he kind of, you know, he talked about a lot of the similar things like, you know, you're on your own for your first time, like no one's doing your laundry and no one's cooking you food and you need to actually eat at least three meals a day, if not more like, you know, as a freshman, generally they want you to put on weight to get bigger and and stronger. So like you should be eating more, Um, you know, and being able to be disciplined in that stuff is, is I think really hard for for freshmen to be able to do, but also just because of like, you don't know what you don't know and you're going to go through it your freshman year. like, I used to tell people all the time. It's you've never, even at the division three level, like you have not gone through a season in what you were about to go through as a freshman. Like we only play 40 games, but you're playing 40 games, you're traveling, you know, so there's, it's the, it's the same kind of, you know, you you're talking about the same stuff you know it's just it's 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 going to be the same no matter where you are whether it's JMU whether it's RPI like you you have to manage your time and you have to be able to take care of yourself in order to to compete and you know from the second you set foot on campus like you might not you might and you might not be ready and that's okay like but if you trust the the process that the coaches are putting you through like you're going to find yourself in a pretty good spot you know probably by the tail end of freshman year and into sophomore year and then you start really competing and getting into it nowadays and i don't i don't envy um these young men who are going through this um nowadays because this wasn't around when the us three dinosaurs were, were growing up but um how much do you guys leverage social media um just in the recruiting process like you know on twitter instagram you know whatever apps you could follow things like that um in identifying, you know, do do you identify with, like, you know, do you use it at all? What do you guys do with Twitter, Instagram, things like that?
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I think we do a decent amount. Um, we try to use our platforms more so just to tell people what we do, show people what we do. Um, I know a few years ago, I was doing it a lot more. Uh, and to be honest, it just got tiring. Um, I don't really have a better excuse than that. It just got to be a lot Um, you know, I, I, I like kind of browsing through and seeing different kids doing different stuff. Everybody always asks, like, you know, do you like when kids tag you? Isn't it annoying? And blah. And I'm like, no, it's not annoying. I mean, to be honest, it's a heck of a lot simpler if somebody does that than to read a two paragraph email and click on a different link to see a video. I mean, it's even simpler. So. I don't know. The kids like their information fast. I kind of like mine the same way. So I don't really mind it. Um, we've randomly, I mean, not often, but randomly run across some guys of like, Oh wow. You know, check this video out that so-and-so put up on this kid. And, and we start digging into who he is and what he does and, you know, and and possibly move forward recruiting wise. Um, I, I can't say I can't say we've gotten somebody that way yet. Um, There was a kid that we were recently trying to get a a few months back and ended up going somewhere else. Um, But we actually did move forward and and offered something. Um, And that's how it started was our hitting coach just came across his video on Twitter and they kind of took it from there. So, yeah, I mean, it's definitely it's useful, but I don't think any kid should feel like they have to do it. It is definitely not a necessity um, at all. Um, you know, but but like I've always said since the start of this stuff, I mean I was joking with somebody um when I was at Siena, I remember I started the the Twitter page, like this at Siena baseball thing. Like, because I remember when I left, I had to give it to the SID, like the password and everything. And then I did the same thing at Fordham because for some reason they didn't have one, you know, a year later. And I mean, back then I wasn't doing anything on it. It was just, I don't know, all the other places are doing it. We better do this because if it sticks around, it seems to be a thing. Um, So again, like, I don't know if it ever get to that point where we're like offering someone based off some videos we saw online. Um, I don't know if that really answers your question. I mean, it's useful, you know. No, it does.
1: I, I mean, I think I think there's multiple ways you can go about it. Like, I, I think that as a program, I think it's important to be able to highlight the things you do and, and highlight your players to so people can see what they're what they've done um, and kind of see their development through that. Um, you know, but I, I think you're right. Like you're you're not. You know, I, I don't know if it's ever really going to elevate for anyone to the point of like, hey, I saw this guy on Twitter on video. Like, we're going to really offer this kid right away. Like, you're going to still do what you would do on any other kid. Like, you're going to do some digging, see what it's like, call the coaches, call his high school, do those types of things. But I do think, you know, and for me, it was a little bit different at RPI. Like, you have, it opens up a couple more doors. Like, you know, we had a lot of guys from the from the West Coast. So, you know, if I saw something on you know PBR, Baseball Northwest, or something like that, like I might pursue that a little bit further if I think that kid might fit. Just because I'm not going to get out there, you know, more than once. You know, so it, it kind of made it uh, the country a tad bit smaller when you have a, a smaller recruiting budget. And it, like this is if you're, you know, you follow the right people, and you're. I think if you leverage it as a kid the right way. You know, it can it can leave some doors open and maybe open up another a few that you might not have necessarily known about. Um, you know, had
0: you not done it. Right. Do you use it to to check on kids? You know, maybe go to their. You know, even if it's a kid that you don't identify on Twitter or don't identify on, on Instagram, but you're going through the process of like, hey, this kid's talented enough. Trying to you know kind of figure out who he is. Do you ever leverage the social media? for that perspective, just to scroll through and be like, Hey, is this kid posting, you know, dumb stuff that that's going to, you know, be a turnoff for you? Is that, is that something that you guys do?
2: Oh yeah. A hundred percent. I mean, we, I, I've always checked it as long as, you know, for, for years now, just to double check and make sure there's not anything that's that's bad. Um, You know, and I think you got to make sure you don't jump to any conclusions when it's looking at some of that stuff, you know, uh some kids may post some things or or repost things or whatever uh and you really got to know the kid where they're coming from what their background is uh and I think we've seen that with a lot of professional athletes some guys instantly get in trouble when they find social media posts from 10 years ago when they were in high school and then come to find out when you learn the guy's background it's like yeah this this was not meant to be that way you're you're taking it that way but this if you knew the way he grew up, this was normal, you know, in, in his neck of the woods or, or whatever. Um, And I, and I think, so I don't necessarily jump to conclusions with it, but I definitely look at those things for sure. I mean, we all do.
0: i got to figure out a way to phrase this question with a little bit more of a positive twist, but it's always interesting for me. um, And I think it's important for kids to hear through a coach's eyes, but, what are some things that, that turn you off in the recruiting process, like where you might see a kid who's talented enough? Is there, is there on-field stuff? Is there off-field stuff? Is it communication? Um, I, I think it's always interesting to try to shed some light on kids to have them better understand that, you know, it's not just about your performance in the evaluation, that the character stuff is a really big piece of it once you are able to kind of confirm that the guy's good enough. And i um, curious if you have any thoughts on that.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think when you see kids, you know, flipping out a little bit, especially if they're flipping out on a coach, a teammate, a 100% if you see them flipping out on on a parent uh, or somebody in the stands, that to me is an instant, you know, cross them off. Um, I'm not, I used to be big on like, oh man, he threw his helmet. But then I'm like, well, I've coached an awful lot of guys that threw their helmet and they were pretty good. And they were also good people. You know, you, you can get angry and maybe that happens. You know, now, if it's an all the time thing and you're constantly seeing that kid do it, okay, then maybe that's an anger issue. Uh, so then, yes, you're going to cross them out. But if it's, you know, I'm, I'm not big on like, oh, he didn't hustle one time. So therefore, he's out. Um I just don't think you can afford to do that because there's no such thing. I I mean, we've played the best teams in the country and I hear their coaches having to remind guys just like we do sometimes, hey, you have to run that out or hustle. You know, like, yes, we would like to never have to remind guys of that, but we'd be lying if we said we never did. So to expect a high school kid to not jog one time, you know, that's a little that's a little overboard in my mind. Um, but again, if we're seeing it nonstop, then it's a problem. You know, if, if I've seen him put four balls in play and he hustled once, then he's out. Um, you know, if I've seen him pitch, it might only be one time, but he's questioning the umpire out loud locally saying something to his coaches, whether it's about pitch calling or whatever. Um, I mean, I literally, um, and you would know who I'm talking about just because of where he went, but um, nothing against the kid. I'm sure he's a nice person, but I remember crossing a kid off at a high school game um, because his mom offered him something, which I was okay with. I'm I'm not like, oh my God, don't let your mom or dad give you a water. Like your high school team didn't supply anything. So you need something. You came straight from school. Uh, But the way he spoke to his mother, I happened to be standing next to the dugout. And I instantly went, oh, my God. And I walked down the line because I couldn't believe the way he spoke. And one of our commits was on the same team. And I remember going out there and I saw his now our commit. His dad used to sit behind the right field fence. And I went down there and I said, hey, I got to I got to ask you, you know, what's the deal with so and so? And he just kind of rolled his eyes and I said, no, man, I need you to be honest. Like this is borderline. We're going to offer him a scholarship but I just heard this. And he goes, coach, that's every day. And I went, okay, I'll see you later. And I just, I was out. Um, Cause again, man, I just, I I don't know. I know people get angry at their parents and I'd be lying if I said I never got mad at my mom or dad, but like talking a certain way in public to your mom or dad is like, I wanted to smack the kid myself let alone what his mom probably wanted to do to him. So I'm like, if he's going to talk to his mom that way, how the hell is he going to talk to me? I'm just going to coach him. I didn't give birth to him and raise him. So, you know, if he's going to speak to her that way, God, you know, what's going to happen here? So he was out, you know? So yeah, all that stuff is encompassing. Um, I know, again, I'm sure there's people that you guys have talked to and, and we've come across it. I know when me and Keith were recruiting, I'd be standing next to guys, and they'd be like, "Oh, he didn't hustle. He's out." I'm like, "Come on, man! If he hits two home runs and his next to a bat, tell me you're not going to recruit him, like, because he jogged one time? Kiss my butt. Um, yeah. You know. But yeah, if it's an all the time thing, I mean, how many times do we have to get on some of our best players for not hustling? It happens. All the you time. Know, everybody Shouldn't say all the time. It's not all the time, but it's
1: it happens enough to where over the course of the season that you have to continually remind some people that, yeah, I I agree. I yeah. think the – I mean we pa- I passed on a kid that I was going to offer at RPI because he came on his visit and the way he spoke to his mother in my office, I was like, nope, same thing. Like, if he's going to speak to his mother this way, like what's he going to do when I'm just trying to coach him? Like not dealing with it. Because there's – you know, in another famous Coach Rossi line, like there's enough guys out there that you can find that you don't – so you don't have to deal with those issues. Um, you know, I, I've always found the, I've always found the, you know, the, the cross them off the list. Cause mom or dad gave them a, a Gatorade or water or what, like to be like this really weird, like, I, I don't get it. It, it. My wife used to bring me coffee in the dugout. Like, it, does that mean that like I'm not tough and I, I shouldn't coach anymore? Cause she would bring me a coffee in between double headers when it's, you know, 36 degrees outside. Like, Come yes, on, yes. <laughs> what, what are we talking about here? <laughs> and the that's same, weird. you know, it's usually the same people are like, "Well, you know, they don't eat right, they don't hydrate, they don't do this." Like, well, here's a kid trying to hydrate, in and then it's 96 degrees out. It's 112 on the turf. Like, give the kid a Gatorade. Like, come on, it's not the end of the
2: world. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I'm with you. I mean, that's I. I don't know. I, I remember when I first started. Co- well, when we first started coaching up there. I remember guys saying it and I wanted to believe it and kind of be in that mix of like, yeah, what the hell? That's weird. You know? And then I'm sitting there like, well, who the hell gave me Gatorade when I was playing? Like, I know, damn, I didn't have no money. Right. I couldn't drive, I couldn't drive and go get it because I wasn't old enough. So yeah, I guess my mom probably handed it to me. Who else was going to hand it to you? You know, like, I don't know.
1: Yeah. And especially yeah. in these, these summer ball tournaments, we digress here for a second, but like you're, you you're like say you're going to diamond nation like you might get dropped off at the field for pregame stuff and then your parents go out and get you your gatorades and stuff and then bring it to the field so that you can drink it during the game like what what, like you're like you're doing everything you're supposed to be doing like if you're not like oh it drives right now i've always found that to be a very weird like very weird and particular thing that like people kind of laugh like oh wow mom gave him a gatorade like okay and?
2: Well, well, but that's, and I think that's the difference between the two, right? So I would never cross somebody off for being handed something like that they need. Now, if the kid goes out of his way to go, hey, ma, give me a damn Gatorade. Okay, now you're out. Mm-hmm. Like that's different because again, that turns into you speaking disrespectfully to your mom or your dad or your, aunt. I don't care who it is to anybody that way. Mm-hmm. Those are two different things though. You know, accepting something that you need, no big deal. But demanding something, okay, calm down. You're 16 years old. Yeah, you know. very, very stark difference. But yes, I agree. Yeah, that I think that the big theme there is,
0: like, is it uh is it something that happens routinely? Right to your point, kid doesn't run a ball out hard once. Okay. Well, now you caught my attention, so I'm going to pay extra attention to how hard you play. If you play hard and that's an outlier, then okay. But if I come to see you play a couple times and the the motor's just not there, then it becomes concerning, and I think that that's a big thing for for kids to understand. I, Coach Murphy, uh, one of my all time favorites, he used to have saying, um, "Everybody reserves the right to get better." And I always thought that was an interesting take for, for young kids to understand that they have the ability to do that. And I try to keep that in mind when I watch guys that, all right, if the kid doesn't play hard for a game, okay, well, let's talk to him about it. Like, let's let him know that, okay, you know, moving forward, you need to be, you know, you need to play with a little more energy. And if you have that talk and the play hard stuff is still an issue, then it's, you know, then then you really need to sit down and think about, all right, how, how can we make a difference for this guy? And you know, the quicker quicker players figure that out, I think it puts them in a situation where they're not going to get crossed off by that one guy who might show up at the field pissed off and you don't run a ball out one time and he goes, ah, I'm out of here. Um, but, no, that's interesting stuff. I'm curious about the guy that you were talking about. Maybe we'll follow up on that later. <laughs> yeah
2: i know he went to he ended up at that school i just can't remember if you were there at that time but gotcha i'll have to uh yeah we'll circle back when uh, <laughs> when we
0: get off the, the interwebs here yeah. um, got one more question for you and we like to close it out like this so if you were going to give a piece of advice or a couple of small pieces of advice to high school kids as they go through this process um, you know, of trying to play at the collegiate level, not necessarily at the level that you guys play at, but just somebody who's pursuing college baseball as as
2: an opportunity, you know, what would you say to these guys? Honestly, I just think it comes down to work, you know, if they if they work to be as good as they can be and don't worry about the outside distractions, you know, if you can help to not worry about the rankings, don't worry about your teammate that already committed Don't worry about some kid in the neighboring town that already committed, like genuinely work to be as good as you can possibly be. Then it's going to pay off. It's going to work out. Um, I can't tell you how many times I've coached somebody that just puts their head down and works and it always works out for those guys always. Um, And I think that's the hard thing. It's way harder now for a high school kid and I know there's way more events and there's way more things to be publicized for in social media and stuff. But that also means way, way more distractions. Um, I didn't have this many distractions when I was in high school. I was just hoping to God somebody would come to a game to watch me play. Yeah, I, I you know, that, that's why I don't cross guys off so quickly. You know, um, I don't know what it's like to pitch on a main field. With fifteen grown men back there pointing a radar gun at me, i don't I don't know what that's like. Um, I wasn't good enough to do it. And, you know I mean, I played, but I, I wasn't I wasn't that good. Um, and at the high school level, we didn't have recruiting events like that. so i I take it for what it is and don't really cross guys out too quickly because if they work hard, then then it's gonna work out for them. You know, I mean, I can't tell you how many times i've I've talked to recruits on the phone. And they've come out and asked like, well, you know, where are we with with the recruiting process? And I'm like, well, you know, we just got to see you more. It's not like we haven't seen you good enough. We just can't make our mind up. We need to see you more. Um, And I think a lot of kids, that's why you see kids jumping at those first offers um, so much. Or when a school says, well, you got 14 days. I'm going to hold a gun to your head. You got 14 days. Tell me if you want to make this life decision or not. To me, that's just idiotic, Um, which, again, I tell kids the same thing. If you want to come to this school where I happen to be coaching and you don't want that gun held to your head at that other place, do you think you're going to work hard enough to be good enough for us? And if you do, then don't commit to the other place. Give us more time to see you because you know you're good enough to play at this level. But if you don't think you are or you're not sure or you're not willing to work for it, then go ahead and commit somewhere else anyways. Who cares? Um, you know, we'll move on, as Keith said, earlier, we'll find somebody else. There's plenty of players. Um, I think that's all it is, man. It just, it comes down to work ethic.
1: I think the other thing too, the when you start talking about the deadlines and, and things like that, like there's, you know, you can't tell me, to your point, like if you continue to work hard, and you believe that you, you're good enough. Like you can't tell me that if you, if that's the school you want to go to and they deadline you and they're like, Hey, we're going to move on. Cause you, you pass that you continue to work and you're really, really good still that they're not going to come back and be like, Hey, we still have a spot for you. Like nobody in the re- we just talked about 20 minutes ago that we, you're going to put the best guys in the lineup to win games. Like if you're going to be that good, like they'll circle back and be like, Hey, we still got a spot. And if they don't, fine because there's going to be plenty of other schools that are going to be out there that are just as good potentially better that you can go to that are likely going to end up being the better fit for you anyways right like there's if you're on the fence about being deadline and stuff like there's that should kind of tell you something like maybe this isn't the play like maybe this isn't the right fit for me right now because i'm on the fence and it just doesn't feel right like it's fine man Like you're, you're likely going to end up with more offers if you keep working at this and and getting better, you'll, you're going to end up in the, in the spot that's the best fit for you, you know, to, to go be the, a a student athlete and get good grades and be developed and, and find yourself in a spot that's going to, you know, benefit you rather than like, Hey, you got to tell us what you're doing now. You know, and I, I just, I think that, you know, I, I have a hard time believing that if you put your head down and you work really hard at it, that that's still not going to be available or other opportunities aren't going to pop up.
2: Right. No, no, I, I agree a hundred percent. I mean, we, we do things a little different um, than that. Like our, our head coach always been big on it and I always have as well. And, you know, this is kind of what we did at other schools too, was if we were to offer something, whether it's spot money, anything, we offer anything. um, We tell guys all the time, like, Hey, we'll give you some time, but, At some point, I'm going to let you know we're going to offer it to someone else because, yeah, we can't sit on it and wait forever. You're not the only shortstop we're recruiting. You know, we have to move to option two. And it's not to make you say yes. It's just to give you a heads up that we're throwing it out there to somebody else. And now if they take it, then I'm going to have to call you, which is a crappy call, and say, hey, we would still want you, but not in the same dynamic because now we got this guy. Um, It happened. I mean, we had a three-year weekend starter for us um that was just taking his time which was understandable he was getting recruited by other people and couldn't make his mind up so i had to tell him that exact scenario we got somebody else um but of course if we were offering you this much of something of course we'd take you for this much of something (laughs) you know six months later we didn't not like you anymore um and he ended up coming back around to us on a way different situation but he still came uh, and ended up being a weekend starter for us for three years and was awesome. Um, you know, so it, it's, yeah, it's the same thing. I mean, it's things that work out for the guys that work. I mean, it always does. And I think it's the same thing in this business, you know, uh, I me and uh, it, it, in both you guys know, AG, who's now a head coach at Radford. Uh, we coached together the last seven years here. Um, and we had a lot of those little sayings on the road, you know, uh, especially even for college coaches. And you guys know, I mean, and if parents pay close enough attention, they can figure it out too, man. You know, are, are guys out there working or are they networking? And if they're networking, you really want to send your kid to them? If they're bouncing from school to school, year to year, you really want them to go there? Or do you want them to go somewhere where there's a good chance he's actually going to coach your kid? You know, and, and I tell people all the time, I can't promise you that I'll be here. If somebody offers a, a better situation for my wife and kids and myself, yeah, I have to consider it the same way that any mom or dad would. But I can tell you one thing, I'm not planning on it. You know, so it's it's been easier for me now at this place to say, yeah, I plan to be here. I mean, and I genuinely meant it when me and Keith coached together at Siena. I didn't plan on leaving. I, I didn't know that Kevin Layton was going to reach out to me in the middle of the summer and ask me to go somewhere else that I had never been. Um, but again, I think parents of the kids that I've recruited, I think they've known that. And I think they still know that I'm telling the God's honest truth that I do plan on being where I'm at. So I'm recruiting your kid, not for a damn ranking. It's because I want to coach him. Like, I think he's going to make us better. Um, and I still do that now, you know, I, I don't, I don't see that ever changing. Um, and I'm telling And you guys know AG. I mean, he says it way funnier than I do. But, you know, if, if somebody's out there networking or are they working and, I'm, uh, you know, it never fails. We'll be a Diamond Nation or East Cobb. And it's like, yep, there's four dudes over there networking, just trying to get that next job the same way that there's certain kids out there that are just looking for that next offer. And I'm the type of person that doesn't want to be a part of either of those. You know, I want you to come here because this is where you want to be. The same reason why I'm here, because this is where I want to be, you know.
0: I like I like that saying. I might have to text AG later, ask him <laughs> if he's been working or networking. Uh, <laughs> I like that. I know him what you mean.
2: <laughs> He'll get it.
0: <laughs> um, anything else you want to you want to fire at Coach Jackson here, Keith? Before we give him back some time with his wife and kids?
1: No, I, I you know Jimmy, we've known each other for 15 years. I, I appreciate you taking the time to sit down here and do this. This has been great. You, you were phenomenal at this. So thank you so much.
2: No, I appreciate it, man. I appreciate you guys having me on. And hopefully this thing keeps rolling and uh, we can get some boys from y'all now.
0: Yeah, that's the plan, man.
2: Um, thanks a lot,
0: Jimmy. Really appreciate your time, man. Good luck this week against UVA on Wednesday and then uh, weekend series in Marshall. So um, always rooting for you guys, you know, following you, following you closely, but can't thank you enough. I'm sure people learned a lot from from what you had to say and um, really appreciate your time. Thanks, Andy. Appreciate you, bro. Thanks, guys. Well, that's it for this week's episode. Um, check in next week. Thanks, everybody.